Welcome, race fans, to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, joined by co-host Stephen McNally. And round one's in the books, folks, and boy, does it look like a lot of last year, maybe even worse, but congratulations, Red Bull 1-2 on the pole, and the old man returned to the podium. Steve, what do you think about this first race? Uh, you know, I, I think we wanted to see a closer battle at the top. It's always great to see, uh, you know, a, a kind of surprise podium finisher. I mean, I, we expected Aston Martin to be strong. Uh, I didn't 100% know if we were going to get a podium race one, round one. But, uh, you know, thanks to Ferrari kind of pulling some Ferrari things, uh, Fernando Alonso found himself in position to you know, uh, take advantage and you know, he, he put himself there through making some really, really, really daring moves. So he can't really take anything away from him. Um, but yeah, we have a Red Bull one, two, uh, looking absolutely dominant 10 to 15 seconds ahead of the rest of the field. Um, we might be in for a, a long season of Red Bull dominance. Yeah. We saw overcuts, undercuts, uh, sideways action here and there, but, what we ultimately got today was a little bit more of the same. And, you know, that's disappointing for me, as you mentioned and I mentioned in the last cast. We are not a Red Bull fanboy podcast, my stretch of the imagination. But Max looks super dominant this year. Uh, Checo had a great run. And, you know, Fernando drove, I think, a hell of a race. This uh, I don't know if he would have been my driver of the day. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But he definitely was deserving of it. Yeah, I think I have an idea who your driver of the day is. <laughs> um, so I, I think, um, you know, we really set the table here looking at the results from qualifying. Uh, really seems like Red Bull might have been holding back over some of the practice sessions. We knew they were quick, but they weren't topping the charts. That was Fernando Alonso. He was fastest man, FP1, FP2. And when it came time to set lap times that mattered, Red Bull was there pumping them in. Uh, yeah, I think early on in Q1, Ferrari might have started showing cracks already. Uh, Carlos Sainz had lap times deleted uh, for exceeding track limits. Charles Leclerc had parts flying off of his front wing, so already they're off to a shaky start. Um but it was it was a very close field in Q1. I think the entire field was separated by less than 1.2 seconds. So in that sense, Q1 was super encouraging. Yeah, and I mean, like this, the look at the times. You know, you talk about how close it was, but you know, actual race, we nearly half the field was lapped. It's just it's just kind of the way the race set up, but also. How quick we saw Max pull away right away. And, you know, speed wise, it didn't seem like that in quality that the uh, Ferraris were that far off the pace. But, you know, I think what we we saw here is that, you know, I think it's a little abundantly clear. It looks like Aston is a little bit faster than Mercedes. Um, we saw McLaren with some terrible struggles in quality, right? It, uh, couldn't get into Q3. And um, terrible, no good day by uh, Alpine, at least for their new stud, uh, Pierre Gasly. But that ended up turning out well for them anyway. Yeah, you're talking about uh, McLaren not making it into Q3. They only made it into Q2 
by the skin of their teeth. And that was uh, because uh, Landon Norris and Logan Sargent had set the exact same Q1 time for the final position, that 15th spot to get into Q2, only because Lando had set his time first, he was the one who advanced to Q2. So by by the absolute slimmest of margin um, that they got one of the cars out of the first qualifying session. It, it was not a good start to the weekend for him. But it was a good start of the weekend for uh, Alexander Albin, uh, we did not expect the Williams to make it into Q2, but he was uh, there with a strong lap time. Good one lap pace. And I think that's what we saw a lot. We saw a lot of teams who could really put together a good one lap time. It just didn't translate over to the race. It's true. Williams was frisky. And I think they got that friskiness carried through the rest of the weekend. So we'll move on to the race itself. And... What really struck you first off, Steve, when you turned on the race about a lap or two in? What what was the most surprising to you? Well, I, I think the most surprising thing to me, uh, like o- overall, was just how far and away the Red Bulls were over everyone else. There was close battles, essentially from third on back, but th- they were under no pressure. You thought maybe there would be a, a strategy call that would maybe close the gap a little bit. But they they went ultra-aggressive with their strategy. They went from a soft-soft to a hard strategy, which was different than anybody else in the field. Um, And they just were running their own race. So I I think it was a surprise to me just how far away they were able to get. Uh, what surprised me is that it didn't take long for Lance Stroll to find his teammate. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's the, the key thing for me was that Aston really just looks consistently faster than Mercedes does at this point, and it showed in the race, too. Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's talk about that Lance Stroll moment. So, you know, Lance is coming off of a, a, a bicycle accident, had surgery on one wrist, Broke the other wrist, had pins put in, broken toe. So he came in already, uh, you know, walking wounded. Wasn't sure if he was even going to race this weekend. But, you know, it ended up qualifying top eight. uh, And, you know, dove down into turn four. Didn't have complete control over the car. And clipped the back of his teammate. And and at that moment, your eyes go wide and you think, oh, oh man, this this is lap one, race one of the year of these guys being teammates. But both cars ultimately survived. I don't know what they make the Aston Martins out of, but, I mean, they they take a beating and they keep going. And And in fairness to Stroll, too, Alonso got a little bit loose and it was really coming back to him, too. So kind of a weird spot on the race there. Hopefully, if people look at that, both the the drivers look at that, they realize it's just one of those things. Although I'm pretty sure Fernando Alonso thought it was somebody else who hit him the whole race. And it didn't seem like his team wanted to tell him that it was his own. It was friendly fire. He was really adamant about who hit me. Um and uh, he goes, I'm pretty sure he probably thought it was one of his old enemies like uh, like Lewis. But oh, yeah, for sure. He, he was he was assured that it was going to be one of the mercs that hit him. And the yeah, no, nobody on the Aston Martin pit wall wanted to say it was Lance. It's like, no, 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 no,
But yeah, I think you know, uh, good day for uh, for the Astons. They finished third and sixth. That's great. You know, I very notably last podcast called Lance Stroll the kind of driver who drives a good car mediocrely, and that was unfair, maybe compared <laughs> to how he drove. And I think he got a little bit of clout and a little bit of respect because he's coming off of this injury and surgery and back in the car and drove a hell of a race. So I will give him his kudos here. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll see where it goes from here. You know, what will he improve as he gets healthier? Uh, you know, I this is clearly the best car he's been behind the wheel of. So if he doesn't ultimately get results in this car, you know, will he ever? But I, I've, I felt like there, there was yeah, a lot of good wheel-to-wheel racing between Aston Martin and Mercedes. They felt pretty evenly matched throughout the race, which is, you know, what, one of the things we talked about was, you know, uh, Mercedes sure is looking up at Ferrari and Red Bull to try to get up there, but they can't not look in the rearview mirror and forget about Aston Martin. And, you know, today they showed that. They, yeah, you know, Aston- especially... Looks like a legit competitor for three this year, absolutely, and might even give Ferrari a run of their money. Uh, probably more so because of Ferrari's unreliability more than anything else, though. Right. So let, let's let's talk about Ferrari since we brought him up. You know, we talked about the Mercs, talked about Aston Martin, talked about Red Bull. Let, let's well, talk I, about the let's talk about the other top team. Well, Stephen, you know this is the thing, right? It, I think nothing throws more of a monkey wrench into last season and what the beginning of this season than the what ifs if Ferrari could just get to the end of the race or didn't have these bugaboos, right? Right. Yeah, we're we're, we're looking at you know at at least a podium for Charles Leclerc. Uh, I don't think Fernando would have ultimately caught him, but you know, but before the race even started, we're we're changing the battery which you only have an allotment of two in the year. So they're already knocking on the door of a penalty there. They chained the control electronics in Charles Leclerc's car, which you only get two throughout the year. And, you know, we, we have yet to see what this ultimately other power unit issue was, if it was, you know, the internal combustion engine or some other component. But, you know, that's a lot of components to go bad on your car and not even finish round one. Yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, it always feels like it, 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 it blows up. It's a, where it's a really good race, and then it, all of a sudden they're just stalled out on the track. And I'm sure it's frustrating for Ferrari fans. It's frustrating for race fans. You, just, you don't know how things are going to pan out when... Ferrari can't consistently get two of their cars to the end of the race. Um, and uh, last year, they seemed to have a decent start to the year where it took them a little while for those things to prop up for them. But this year, it hits them right in the face right here uh, and sets them behind the eight ball for their, I presume, their desire to chase Red Bull uh, down this year. It's not a good start. Yeah, because already they're sitting there trying to figure out the the Red Bull pace is is so good. They're sitting there and all right, we don't have this race. They're completely dominant. We'll just go ahead and we'll take third and fourth or, you know, at best case second and fourth. We'll we'll just take these points and and go home and we didn't 
ha- we didn't compete in this one. They don't even have that to hang their hat on. They got Carlos Sainz in fourth, and now they have to play catch up. You know, they are fourth in the standings. It's only one race, but you know, you, you can't put yourself on such a back foot. It's so hard to to make up ground when you have a team like Red Bull performing at this level. Right. It's early, and we can say that, but Red Bull has been consistent, and they don't usually have that reliability issue. They're they're usually one of the top teams all the way around. They're just that's why they're good, and you cannot afford to get behind to them early. Um, that aside, let's he goes. We kind of talked mostly about the top teams. But what other superlatives stood out for you, Steve, uh, on this week as we go back through the field? Uh, well, I, I have to start with Florida man, Logan Sargent. <laughs> if this doesn't become a Logan Sargent podcast, uh, I, I don't know what direction we're going to go in. But he missed out on points, but he finished 12th and started 16th. So, you know, made up positions, was in the mix, racing well. Did, you know, ultimately, as a rookie in your first race you're, you're trying not to make the big mistake you're trying to you know rule one don't collide with your teammate didn't do that rule two look like you belong definitely did that and then you go about trying to score some points uh, but you know 12th is super respectable for his first race it, it absolutely is he was not the rookie I had doing well early um, and uh, I'm happy that he is Uh you know, uh, Nick DeVries ended up uh, 14th, and Piastri finished 20th because of the unreliability. Of that oh, McLaren. we'll we'll get to McLaren. We will get to McLaren. <laughs> we will get to McLaren. But uh, definitely top rookie uh, finished today. But I will also show love. You know, because of his success and uh, Alexander Albon getting into the top 10 and scoring points, Williams had a very very good start to the season that I haven't seen in a couple of years from Williams, and. I uh, I, sh- I give a lot of kudos to Williams today. They're one of the surprises for me, Steve. Yeah, you know, as as much as we talk about maybe Mercedes themselves being a, a little bit in the wars and disappointment, if we look at the Mercedes-powered cars outside of McLaren, you know, the power unit looks strong. Aston's powered by the Mercedes power unit, so is Williams, and, you know, Races last year like Monza, Power Tracks, Bahrain's a, a, a track where you're on full throttle for like 63% of the race. So they have good top-end speed that will you know allow them to make overtakes and allow them to be defensive on long straights. So, you know, a- Alex did a good job positioning his car, good strategy from the team, and then he was able to hang on to 10th he was in ninth for a while and ultimately lost out to Pierre Gasly taking his ninth place away but you know a point on the board for him and for the team so let's let's talk about Alpine's very Jekyll and Hyde day uh I will take Gasly if you would like to take uh our good friend Esteban Ocon uh, but uh Gasly uh very impressive you know we we saw his quality 20th just very terrible um what a hell of a race for him to the, today to get up into ninth, get points on his debut. Um, I was impressed. He's my driver of the day. I just thought that was rather impressive today, um, given how bad Alpine's day was going. It, it had a little bit more sap to the wound. Um, so 
Pierre just, I think, was really impressive to me. Nothing against Fernando. I know he had a he drove great, and he gave us a lot of good racing, and it looked lovely. Drove he, like a man possessed. But I mean, it also just drove about as as dangerously clean as you could possibly do so, right? <laughs> and uh, I loved it. I ever loved every bit of it. Everyone was super excited. You could tell the race uh, commentators were so into the racing that we were seeing. But um, just for salvaging a weekend and and really performing, Pierre Gasly got my vote for uh, driver of the day. But yeah, and, and, and really not just save his own weekend, but save save the team's weekend. Right. Uh, you know, I know in our preseason predictions, you had Gasly outperforming Ocon. You had uh, Esteban like pretty down in your rankings, and I, I was surprised. I had Esteban ahead of Gasly because, you know, he'd been in the team. I just felt like he'd perform better. Week one doesn't look like that's going to uh, pay out so well for me. Uh, <laughs> I I have never seen this situation with Esteban Ocon with what happened today. The You know, essentially got a penalty before the race started because he didn't line up on the grid right. Then they tell him he's got to serve a penalty. And, you know, he goes in to serve the penalty, but he, he has a broken front wing at the same time. And then they go to work on the car before the five seconds are up. So then they tell him he's got a 10-second penalty for not serving the five-second penalty right. Then he comes in again, and then he speeds in the pit lane. So he gets a penalty for serving his penalty wrong and then serving that penalty wrong. It's penalty inception. I, yeah, I, I've, I've never seen that many layers of penalties before and it's just you know no good terrible bad day and i think it amounted to something like 35 seconds in pit time that he lost or track time that he lost and my god and i know he was complaining on the radio he's like things he's been doing in f1 his whole career and even before f1 and he's like why is he getting penalized now and i i Maybe you can see some of that, but I mean, it yeah, was that obvious. was a that was a weird comment for him to make. Right. You know, it's like you've been speeding in the pit lane your whole career. Like that doesn't seem right. You know, and, and the other penalty was on the team for starting work on the car too soon. So that's not right. something you did. So that well, seemed I, like a weird comment. I mean, I can see it here. Maybe it's the margins, right? You know, you think you're doing everything right, but this just a hair off every little bit, and it just magnifies and magnifies. And that was the day here. I think. For Esteban, it just, it was one of those where it's like, pack it in, buddy, we're done. And L- I literally, it's like, yeah, point. yeah, it, it, he didn't finish the race. He had uh, like 41 laps in the book, and they said, we're going to just retire the car because this was, uh, you know, a circus of embarrassment at that point. I think it's just, we, we have someone in Lando Norris who had five pit stops. Yeah, he trying to see how many pit stops he could have and still finish the race. Going for the record and was still ahead of Esteban at the time that he retired. So uh, so speaking of, we'll, we'll shift gears from Alpine and talk about McLaren. And it's, it's a tough day to be a McLaren fan. It's a good day to be Danny Ricardo, but it's a tough day to be a McLaren fan. How do you like me now, right? I mean, he's got 18 million reasons to be happy to not be driving around in that car 
And this is the thing for me, right? Maybe I made the wrong prediction. Maybe if this goes like this, maybe it's Zach looking to step away. Because uh, this is frustrating. McLaren's trying to be that team that we've been talking about. That starts to push the upper tier. That starts to push in to try to be third and go after you know the other uh, top teams on the grid. And they've slipped out of fourth. They're slipping back. And now it looks like... There's other teams that are starting to nip at their heels. They might be falling into the lower tier of this grid this year with these unreliability issues. Um, and so I, you know, I will say that you know, uh, Oscar had an electrical issue with the car. They they attempted to solve that by switching out steering wheels, and that didn't work. And then there was a separate issue with Lando. He had a hydraulic issue. They had to keep topping him up with the hydraulics every time he came in in order to keep the car running. Um, he ultimately finished the race. I, I will give them silver lining to all these gray clouds. When Norris was out there running, he was fast. He was fast. He was there. He was a lap down. But while you know Lewis and Fernando and Carlos Sainz were battling over you know three, four, and five, he kept pace with them throughout that you know uh, segment of the race. He was as fast as those three cars. Uh, at one point, he was kind of a threat to even unlap himself. But uh, so there, there can be some positives to take from this. You got to button up all these reliability issues and finish the race. I think they can be point contenders. Um, but we're talking about tail end of the points, you know, ninth and tenth. A couple other little things. Uh, Yuki just outside the points today as the the lead man at Alphatari. Um, yeah, I, w- I was attempting to become the lead man at Alphatari, I should say. Yeah, I, I was a little concerned about Yuki in, in qualifying at first. There, there was you know, uh, at one point he was two seconds off the pace. wasn't sure if that was you know an, an issue he was having in Q two where he just didn't get a representative lap time in, but it, like it, it was not a good showing. Uh, he seemed, you know, sprightly, wanted to make some moves, wanted to have his presence felt. Um, his his rookie teammate was also able to finish the race. Um, I just, I, I feel like this is where you're going to expect to see Alpha Tower the rest of the year. Yeah, and it, you know, maybe, uh, maybe them and Williams are going to maybe, you know, chip away at each other here, but... Um... Saw our good buddy Valtteri Botas, uh, a friend of the cast, uh, wheedle into eighth with that Alfa Romeo. So, you know, I, I'm i looking at this and uh, I just, I love Fernando looking out for the team early on. He was very curious where Lance finished and was looking out for him and asking about him. It just seems like Fernando Alonso team guy. Uh, not to say he's not, but he's not always team guy. <laughs> ne- never has that been said. Right. Uh, you know, it's just very, very interesting start to the season. But it was abundantly clear from Fernando over the radio that he really loved driving this car. Um, but yeah, just uh, an interesting race, to say the least. Uh, I would say there are some things that mean absolutely nothing about this race for the rest of the season for some of these drivers. And there's some very, very telling things early for some other teams here. Yeah, I, I'm I'm disappointed in what I saw from Haas. You know, uh, Nico Hulkenberg had such a good qualifying effort. Uh, did, didn't get to put in a representative lap time in Q3, but he made it into Q3. 
And, you know, my, my point between the two Haas drivers was always, uh, you know, Kevin Magnussen can't keep it clean on lap one. And it, it snake bit him a couple of times last year. Lo and behold, what happens? Lap one, it's Nico Hulkenberg picking up wing damage. And that essentially ruined his race. He was slow while he had the damage. He had to come in, get a wing change, so a longer stop. And then, you know, at, at, at that point, there was nothing to salvage. So the, the Haas is just kind of, you know, pedaling around in in 13th and 15th. Not really a factor in the race. It was disappointing because this race last year was K-Mag's big return, finishing fifth, uh, you know, a, a Viking comeback, as Gunther said. And uh, they, they walk away with nothing to show for it this week and really trying to understand if, if they have the ability to compete next time out in Saudi Arabia. Right. So recapping, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez with a 1-2 for Red Bull. And the old man returns to the podium in a new car, Fernando Alonso in third uh, with everybody else bringing up the rear, including Ferrari and Mercedes. So let's take a look ahead. You know, we have a little bit of a break here between races. What are we expecting here for Saudi? So, you know, there, there was a lot of chatter after the race. Uh, you know, the the surprise. Not necessarily the surprise that the Red Bulls are fast. I think, you know, we, we expected the Red Bulls to be the team to beat. But to be, you know, 13 seconds ahead of the field, uh, there there was a lot of long faces in the paddock. You know, they asked George Russell what he felt. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's basically packing it in for the rest of the year. He said, Red Bull's going to win every race. And, uh he uh, he gave a little bit of basis for why he thought that it wasn't just a, a hyperbolic throw out there. It was just hey, that's what it's going to be. I mean, the way they look today, there's no reason to doubt them. They have the two best cars on the track, it looks like, and two of the best drivers too. Um, and even Lewis said the same. You know, he's like, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Ferrari, uh, you know, having issues with Charles, that he wouldn't have had as good of a day as he did. So it's a, a lot of looking up and saying, hey, what's going on? And um, I just think Red Bull, I, and this is the thing about Red Bull, it's just Christian Horner, probably he's smiling in his bed right now. He just loves to rub people's I nose did, in that's it. A, that's that's an image that I hate to have in yeah, my head, that, that he's just so yeah. freaking satisfied with his whole life right now. It's just, ugh. This is the rub, this is the rub your face in a year for him, and... I don't know where we're going to see gains by the rest of these uh, teams. And I don't know if it's enough time to do it by right. Saudi. So, so they, they talked to Toto Wolf after the race. And Toto, uh, you know, they, they brought forward an upgrade this week on the rear wing. And that's why they felt, we'll say, good about their performance today. It's still not where they want to be. And they said, well, you know, what's next? You're, you're kind of far off the pace. And obviously... Being the only team in this zero side pod design language, uh, they said we we had a huge upgrade on schedule, but it was going to come at Imola in in round six for the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, and you know the expectation was that upgrade was going to give them three tenths of a second lap time, and Toto's like I. I got to go to them and I got to tell that's you need to do better because three tenths isn't, isn't going to amount to anything at this point. Right. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what within the cost cap, 
Mercedes can do. Uh, because it's not, it, they, they don't have the luxury in this day and age to say we, we have a car A that we're driving and we've developed a, a, you know simultaneously a car B that we can go to in case this isn't working. Like You don't have that luxury. You know, this is the funny thing, Steve, that we're looking... This is why this happened. This is why we did this uh, in F1, right? Was for parity. It was to allow teams to win based off of merit driver best car not the most money spent but what's funny right now is that red bull is so much better than everybody else that it seems like if teams had more money to spend they might be able to close that gap and it looks like that cap might keep red bull out front a little bit longer than normal circumstances prior to this cap would you agree so yeah with red bull uh they should be on this inverse sliding scale of you know wind tunnel run allocation and their cfd in uh you know the the dynamics they have to run for you know aerodynamic calculations but those haven't gone into effect yet so they're going to maintain this advantage for the first part of the season before the other teams start to close that gap it seems like they'll get a little bit further ahead uh because of that they they never really get to see so the problem of a penalty is that if it doesn't go into effect immediately you can kind of overcome it and it seems like that's what they're going to be able to do but Let's move on to two weeks from now. I uh, hate to say that we've got a got to start to the season, then we got to stop and wait. But um, what are we looking at? What is our predictions for round two in Saudi? You know, one thing to look at is: uh, are any oil refineries going to get bombed outside the racetrack? <laughs> yeah, we have a time to to see if the world the geopolitical landscape changes that we have a different place that we're racing. But yeah, so I hope we don't see that. Yeah, let's cross our fingers. Um, you know, S- Saudi is, uh, on the one hand, like an exciting track. It's this half-purpose-built, half-street course. Uh, but it's a, it's a dangerously fast track. You know, it's narrow. There's not a lot of forgiveness there. Uh, you know, we certainly saw last year Mick Schumacher had an unbelievably hard crash in qualifying, ripped the car apart, scary sight. He was fine. But it's... Uh, a dangerous track. There's there's not necessarily blind corners, but you do not have a lot of reaction time if something goes wrong in front of you. Uh, so I expect to see at least one one red flag during the weekend. May, maybe even two. I'll say two red flags. I expect two red flags. If it happens in practice qualifying the race, but I, I expect two red flags. Uh, so we won't see the running away that we saw at this at this week's. You, you mean lines. you mean ultimately in the uh, the final grid, the finishing position, whoever wins the race, you don't expect them to win by uh, uh, ten seconds or half the field to be lapped or anything like that. Yeah, I think with the two red flags, depending on where they go, should be maybe some interesting racing. For for me, I do think Ferrari will right the ship, um, and I do expect them to be on the podium and competing. So Ferrari had a double podium last year. So, so I, and, I expect and, them to be back. I don't. I think this is a blip. This first week, I I think they'll be back to normal in two weeks in Saudi. So you have a Ferrari on the top step of the podium. Yes. Okay. I I, I just can't I can't Do, agree with George that they're going the Red Bull's going to win every race. Uh, I I think. Um, I think Max is going to win again. 
it's a, I, not I, on the limb, but I, it's a fair I, one. But I, I think we see the same podium next week as we did this week. I think really? it's a Max, Checo, Fernando. I don't know. I, I feel like Fernando's just uh, on another level right now. Um, yeah, I, I will keep in mind there was essentially six cars that didn't finish the race last year. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a war of attrition. Um, I mean, you know, Yuki didn't start the race, so it's not like he didn't DNF. He DNS'd. He didn't start. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's tends to be an unforgiving track. So there's possibility that a team like Haas, who didn't really perform this week has the opportunity to break in and score some points. So I'll, I'll say the, we'll, we'll have a couple red flags. We'll have the same podium and we'll have one of the hosses in the points. All right. I will say we will have a Ferrari win the race. Do you care if it's Charles or, or Carlos? Do you have, do you feel better about one than the other? Charles. I'll yeah. say Charles will win the race. I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say Charles. I say a rookie points next week. And Esteban Ocon will get less penalties. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that a fair one? Do you think, you think I can get away with that one? Is I that, mean, is that if, not really going on the limb or what? Is this the whole weekend? Because you could pick up a penalty in, in uh, practice or in qualifying if you're impeding someone. So that, that, that's, I mean, I, I guess he got here, here, a lot. So, I mean, I, I got, he... Even if he did one, and, and I think he's bound to do less, right? I mean, unless he's like, screw that. I'm just going to see if I can do more. Yeah, I mean, he had three. So he's got a good margin. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is one of those tracks where you're trying to get in your qualifying lap on a on a busy track, narrow track. Daniel Ricciardo got a, a grid penalty last year because he impeded Esteban Ocon on a flying lap. So... There's a good opportunity he can match his three, but hopefully, you know, I'd like to see him get into the points. Not, you know, because I like the guy, not just because I haven't predicted to finish eighth. <laughs> but fair enough. Unfortunately, well, we got a long gap to have to wait. You know, two weeks seems long. It's not as long as the whole off season, but it's it's long enough for me. No, it's a, and it's a slow start to the season. We'll get into that, uh, you know, in future podcasts uh, about how this early part of the season just really kind of uh, starts and stops. You don't really feel like getting into a flow yet until about four or five. But that does it for this podcast, this episode of the podcast, and round one's in the books on the way to round two in Saudi. We got a few weeks till then. But join us next week to get your fix of the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. We will be with you every week, even when there are weeks off. Always join me and Stephen right here. I'm your host again, Ryan Vasquez, Stephen McNally joining me. And be sure to download us wherever you get your podcast from, and we will see you next time. Thank you.